see if that works. So look, it worked. Look at that. Let's see if it continues to work. Matthew 2 says this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ or where the Messiah was to be born. So they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. And when you found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them. Till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Now, Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and departed for Egypt, and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt... I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry, and he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now, when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. When he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee, and he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. <clears throat> Let's pray. We have a few a few uh, angles, I guess, I want to look at as we get into this. These, I guess, very very familiar stories, probably for most of us. So, hopefully, we'll draw a little bit of application from that. Um, Father, thank you so much for your word. Would you speak to us this morning, please? It's you that we need as we come to the scriptures again. As we as we open your word. It, it really is our desire to hear you this morning. To know that, like we, like we talked about last week, to know that um, 
you are a God who is with us. <coughs> You're not some old man far away in the sky sitting on some throne. Though you are king and ruler of all. You are involved in the details of our lives. As we look at Joseph's life, my Lord, my prayer is that we would be encouraged and reminded of the fact that there is nothing that escapes, <coughs> nothing that escapes your eyes, nothing that escapes uh, your, your hands and your ability, God. And that we can be people who, like Peter encouraged us to be, who cast all of our cares on you, knowing that you care for us. Thank you, Lord, for caring about us. And pray that you'd encourage us today, <laughs> that you'd teach us, and that you'd correct us in uh, Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, there's a tragedy in Bethlehem. <laughs> a great tragedy. Um, that... I don't know. I don't know how else to to think about it except to say or to recognize that um, Herod, in his seeming jealousy, um, decides to do something um, well atrocious, right, with the death of these um, these babies, these children. Um, let's let's back up to verse one here of. Matthew chapter 2. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. Oh, got to stop right there. <laughs> really. Okay, a um, couple of issues with this. First issue may not seem like much to you, and you may not be familiar with it, and that's fine. But um, the issue, if we can even call it that, is that Herod, this particular Herod, was the first of the uh, Herodian dynasty. Okay, it would be Herod children and then another generation of, uh, of Herods, that is of, of his children, that would end up ruling under uh, the Roman Empire as part of the Roman Empire in this region, in this area of the world. Okay, um, This Herod had a lot of building projects that he was a part of, including a, an enormous expansion to the temple itself in Israel and the Temple Mount, and it seems like what he was doing was, was fashioning it more like some of the other temples in other places throughout the empire. Um, but um, Herod also had very, very tumultuous life, and eventually he died from, uh, from a disease uh, that he suffered with for a number of years. He died the approximate year of his death, or the one that we have sort of gone back and reckoned, is about 4 B.C. Now, if you're following along, uh, BC uh, at least used to stand for uh, before Christ. Uh, now we have the Common Era, and we have BCE is typically the way it's referred to now, in order to kind of remove any religious references to to our time. Right? AD stands for in the year of our Lord, Anno Domini, um, and BC is before Christ or was, right? But it's been kind of modernized now to remove religious references. So you'll hear um, BCE or CE. CE is the common era. BCE is the before the common era. But it still is reckoned at the same time period. And the idea is that the birth of Jesus changed everything, right? That's the idea of BC and then AD in the year of our Lord, okay? Is that time itself is, is going to be reckoned by the birth of Jesus, right? So without going more into the history of that, obviously that becomes an issue. If Herod is the king and he is eventually going to command children under two years old to be killed in Bethlehem because he's heard that a king has been born in Bethlehem uh, and he died in 4 BC, it kind of messes up our time frame a little bit, doesn't it? Because <laughs> right? he died four years before Jesus was allegedly born, right? Keep in mind that. Uh, uh, much of this is much of those dates, um, particularly about Jesus himself, are um, speculative 
and uh, they they uh, many scholars have done the best they can to go back and reckon using numerous records to uh, try to um, account for the timing so it's very likely that Jesus was actually born uh, between 6 and 4 BC sometime in there um, uh, sometime in there right so kind of going from this that Herod died um, in 4 BC um, and then uh, the fact that he commanded any children two years old and under in Bethlehem according to what he was told by the wise men uh, by the Magi uh, he commanded them to be killed there in Bethlehem. So um, probably around that time, could have been a little earlier than that, certainly. Uh, keep in mind that when Jesus actually starts his public ministry when he's older, it says that he began his ministry about the age of 30, right? I know that we like, we like hard lines. <laughs> a lot of us like, like real definitive hard lines, right? But maybe he was 35. <laughs> I, I don't know. He was about the age of 30, okay? Exactly. So, that's right, right. So, I know that we like to see hard lines about things, but uh, it, it wasn't that big of an issue. It wasn't that big of a deal um, to, uh, to the authors. And, uh, and frankly, it's not that big a deal to me either. So, uh, however, we do know that Herod died in 4 BC. Um, Jesus, it seems, would have been born at least uh, a little bit before that. Uh, time period. Uh, it seems like he died a little bit um, pretty soon after the events recorded in the first part of this chapter, uh, after Jesus then goes down to Egypt with his family. But regardless, he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. Now, uh, look back one word before that in chapter in verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. This is after Jesus' birth, right? And this is why we're going to read the story of the wise men coming. And I know it's not that big a deal, but it's one of those reminders that, like, this is why when we set out our nativity scene, usually we have the, we have the wise men, like, way off in the distance, right? Because, like, Jesus was no longer in a manger. When, when the wise men actually get to Jesus, it says they went to the house. The star was over the house that they were staying in at that time. Like, they were still in Bethlehem, but this was sometime after the birth of Jesus. So we have the wise men. Like, I, I've tried to do them on the other side of the living room before. <laughs> like, we had the nativity on one side, and we have the wise men on the other side. I'm like, what? They just saw the star now, bro. They're headed, they're headed that direction now, now that he's been born. This is actually a scale. <laughs> right. right. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, word Bethlehem, the name of the city, means the house of bread. Maybe we'll come back to that idea shortly. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. There were two Bethlehems in Israel, one in the northern part, one in the southern part of Israel. This Bethlehem is located uh, somewhere around three miles south of the city of Jerusalem. Now you guys, do you guys know how far three miles is? It ain't real far, right? <laughs> to throw in some of my South Georgia at you. It ain't real far to go three miles. Now, that comes into play in the story because Herod is in Jerusalem. Okay? Oh, anyways, we'll get there. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem wise men from the east again some of this is some traditions that we've sort of developed the whole idea of wise men magicians from the orient or whatever is possible but the east of the of this region of this area is um, sort of the mesopotamia mesopotamia area or modern day iraq areas around where israel would have been carried away into captivity in babylon it's very possible that these leaders had some of the scriptures themselves. Okay, now a, ma- a magi or a magoi is the uh, the Greek. They are typically known as counselors for the kings. Uh, they would have been involved in 
astrology, astronomy, interpreting the stars, looking at them. That was a very common practice. But they would also be counselors. They would be giving advice to the king. They would also be interpreters, right? Keep in mind, think of the book of Daniel, if you've studied through Daniel. Think of how Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, they were known to be wise men, so they took them aside and they made them, uh, basically along with others, they made them counselors to the king. And eventually some of the issues arose where the king was like, listen, I had a dream and I want somebody to interpret it. And, uh, and of course, the king goes, I'm not going to tell you what my dream was. <laughs> right? I'm not going to tell you what it was. You've got to tell me the dream and you've got to tell me the interpretation of my dream. You know? And everybody's losing their minds because he basically says, if you can't do it, I'm going to kill you all because you're all frauds. Um, and then uh, Daniel prays to God and God responds to, to, uh, to Daniel and tells him both the dream and the interpretation of the dream. Uh, so it's, it's really fascinating. But that's the position of these guys. And this seems like this is a retinue. This is a, like a welcoming party. Imagine that, that these counselors have told their king, their leader, that there has been a king born now in Israel. A new king, right? So now he sends this detachment of his counselors with gifts. Also, we don't know how many wise men there were. Maybe, maybe there were ten. Right? Maybe there were ten. Maybe there were, maybe there were fifty. Right? Maybe there were two. We don't know. We know there were more than one. We don't know how many. They brought three gifts. Right? Because they brought three gifts, typically we see them as three, or at least three specific gifts are announced, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we kind, of make a, we kind of make an assumption that there were three, but the text itself never actually says how many wise men there were. Okay? It was enough, though, that it troubled Herod, and it troubled all Jerusalem when they came. This was a big deal when they got there. Uh, what was happening here. And I know, um, again, these are stories, man, that we read over and over and over again, but I, one of the things that I want for us to try and do is try and, try and, as best we can, kind of put ourselves in there, you know, in the moment, and kind of see what's happening here. Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. <laughs> Imagine if you're Herod, Great. the king of this region, of this area, right? And this retinue of foreign counselors comes to you and says, listen, we have seen a star. Where is the king? And this would have, I think, probably grated against Herod the Great even more because he was not a Jewish man. He was an Idumean or a descendant of Edom, a descendant of Esau, an Edomite. He was not a Jewish person. And so there was, that, there was some long history of tension between, uh, between the Jews themselves and between the Idumeans or the Edomites the descendants of Esau. Remember the stories of Jacob and Esau and, and uh, that whole deal, right? And Esau uh, selling his birthright to Jacob for some pretty sweet stew because he was real hungry. <laughs> you know? And then, and then uh, of course, Esau wanting to kill his brother and Jacob leaving and all that, that whole deal, right? So There's some, some tension there already. And then this, this foreign <laughs> delegation comes and says, where is he who's been king, born king? Born king? That feels a little cutting in itself uh, because typically there would be a time when you would be coronated as king. <coughs> you wouldn't necessarily be born the king. You'd be born a prince, right? And then you would be coronated, if that's even the right way to say it. <laughs> there would be a coronation, right? Where you would officially be recognized as the king, right? Where you would enter into your authority as the king, eventually, at some point, right? So these guys come and they're like, where is the one who's been born king of the Jews? To this guy who is ruling over the Jews, but he's not a Jew. You realize how much of a threat that is? This presents a political threat 
to Herod. And Herod had already been involved in squashing political threats, not only from outsiders, but even within his own family. <laughs> Herod the Great had. He, he could at times be very brutal. <laughs> and this, that attitude was eventually carried down in, into his children and their lives as well. They sort of, many of them copied that, that attitude. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we've seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. One of the reasons why I wonder if this is possibly a group of people from the area of Iraq or from Mesopotamia somewhere is that Israel had been carried away captivity and certainly they had copies of the scriptures and there's a prophecy in the book of Numbers is one of the things I believe that Balaam when he was hired by Balak to curse Israel it's one of the things that he prophesied over them in Numbers 24 is a prophecy that relates uh, says this specifically I see him but not now I behold him but not near A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. And I wonder if maybe these leaders from the east, if they're from that area, if they were familiar with this prophecy in the book of Numbers that would have been in the writings of Moses that were carried into captivity with Israel, if they knew there was a promise of a star (laughs) to come. And they're already involved in, many of them involved in astronomy or astrology. Keep in mind, those are two very different things. Those words are not interchangeable. They're supposed to be Persian, right? So that would have been from Babylon. That's the idea, right? For we have seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Verse 3 says, when Herod the king heard, <laughs> he was so excited that a king was born, he wanted to worship him too. <laughs> right? <laughs> I, I can't think of many Roman leaders that would have been, uh, <laughs> would have handled things that way, <laughs> uh, looking at history. Um, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, so he gathers together all the, the, I don't know how to say it, all the smarties in Israel. (laughs) The chief priests, these would have been the the leaders of the nation of Israel, the chief priests and the scribes. He gathered all, all the chief priests and scribes of the people together. He inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. He said, where is your Messiah, your Christ? Where is he to be born? So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea. Now keep in mind, they're in Jerusalem. And this foreign retinue comes in and says, listen, where is he who's been born the king of the Jews? And all of a sudden Herod is is upset, (laughs) right? So he gathers together all the leaders there in Jerusalem. He says, listen guys, where is your Christ? Where is your anointed one? Where is your Messiah? Where is he supposed to be born? <laughs> I'm just, you know, no reason. <laughs> you know, no doubt these leaders would have been familiar with, no doubt these leaders would have probably been aware of this foreign retinue that came. It says all Jerusalem was troubled with Herod. <clears throat> he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Right? Love that. Jesus himself is the great shepherd, and he refers to himself that way. The word shepherd is the word that we bring over into English as the word pastor. It's just a common Greek word for a shepherd. Any idea who that prophet was? Yeah, this prophecy was from Micah. It's Micah 5.2 is the main part of it. Uh, there's actually a bit of a combination here of uh, both Micah's prophecy and Micah 5, and then also uh, something that was said in, I believe, in Second Samuel as well. Um, For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel, particularly as it relates to the... Um, 
or maybe it's First Samuel. It was as it relates to the anointing of Saul as king, and the idea that um, God would set for Himself a shepherd over Israel with a, a, a person after His own heart. Of course, that would would be David eventually. But um, there's sort of a, a mixing together, a putting together of those two ideas or those two prophecies there. This was commonly thought of, the Micah 5 prophecy was commonly believed among the Jews to be a prophecy of the Messiah and of the reality of where the Messiah would be born. Now, part of what Matthew is doing here is he's presenting to, I have no doubt, a Jewish audience the reality of Jesus and his authority to be the Jewish Messiah, the Hebrew Messiah, okay? the Jewish king. So, chapter 2 is essentially Matthew saying, listen, he's called Jesus of Nazareth, um, but he's not actually from Nazareth. (laughs) Like, that's not where he was born, right? Because knowing Jesus as Jesus of Nazareth, the reality is you would have to say, wait a minute, the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem. If the Messiah is supposed to be born in Bethlehem, how can Jesus of Nazareth be the Messiah, right? It's a reasonable question. He's Jesus of Nazareth. How can he be the Messiah if the prophecies say the Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem? Well, basically Matthew chapter 2 is the explanation, is Matthew telling us how all of this happened and why we can trust that Jesus himself is the Messiah according to the prophets, according to the prophecies previously written about him. So again, this prophecy is from Micah 5, the majority of it. Uh, You, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, so now he finds out that the Messiah is supposed to be born just a few miles away in the city of Bethlehem, south of Jerusalem. And Herod then does this. He secretly calls the wise men, excuse me, he determined from them what time the star appeared. Now, before we move on from this idea, I want to say this. There have been Plenty of people try to explain through historical records and other things that this star was a uh, was uh, uh, some have said a particular comet. Some have said that there was a supernova or nova of some kind during this particular time period, and all of those things are fine. And if God wants to use that stuff, then that's cool too. However, I have some issues with it according to the text. The text seems to suggest, at least to me, that this is a supernatural star. One that is not normal, not something that that would have been a common type of appearance. It would have set itself apart in a particular way, and and I'll explain why in a second uh, as we continue reading. Maybe you'll see why I say that. But um, when he had secretly called the wise men, he determined from them what time the star appeared. So firstly, this particular star that they followed Uh, west. They came from the east, so they followed it west. This particular star at some point appeared. It had an appearance. It it began at some particular point. Do you get that? So that's one one idea or one point. But Herod is so frustrated or afraid in this situation, he calls them secretly kind of to the side. And so he finds out uh, when this star appeared, and then he sent them to Bethlehem. And he said, uh, go and search carefully for the young child, and when you found him, Bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. And we've heard this story a bajillion times, most of us, right? We know this is a ruse, right? Herod isn't interested in worshiping this Jewish king, who's this baby who's been born. So he finds out how long it has been since that star appeared that they followed. And then he sends them on their way. Go on to Bethlehem. The prophets have told us, the baby's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. The Messiah's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So go your way and go find him. Once you find him, bring back word to me so that I can also come and worship him. When they heard the king, verse 9, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. This is why I have a hard time with saying this is some normal sort of occurrence. The star that they followed appeared at a particular time. And then when they left Herod, it went in front of them and then stopped and stood still over where Jesus was. 
how, how could they, I, I mean, they, and they end up going into the house where Jesus is located. Like, if we're talking about a star in the heavens, like, maybe it can help lead us westward, right? Maybe, right? But how's a star going to point us in the heavens, simply that, how is that going to point us to the house where Jesus is? I just have a hard time with that. <laughs> I guess I guess is is uh, is what I'm saying. It seems that Matthew, at least, is suggesting that this is some type of supernatural sort of event. <clears throat> when they heard the king, they departed. Behold, look, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. When he opened their treasures, keep in mind he's not in the manger, that manger scene anymore, it's where he's born, but um, in a house at this point. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. In my mind, I'm thinking about all of the responsibilities that a mother has with taking care of young children, you know, and um, realizing, you know, sometimes it's a thankless type of job, you know, but let's enter this scene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, is there with and taking care of her little child, who is the king of the Jews, the king of Israel. He is Emmanuel. He's God with us. They came and they fell down and they worshipped him. This seems to me to show um, a lot of respect and humility on the part of these um, magi, these wise men, that they would, that they would bow down to a, a little child. And, and uh, certainly they would have an appreciation for, uh, for monarchy, for... Um, I think maybe to a greater degree than we have. We have American spirit is a very rebellious spirit to le- to leadership has been from the very beginning <laughs> uh, to authority, right? Um, they fell down. They worshipped him. When they'd opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him. So we have the three gifts: gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Um, as it's been uh, said or suggested, gold um, is reflective of uh, kingdoms and kings and rulers and authority. And frankincense is uh, reflective of the priesthood and priestly ministry, as frankincense was um, a common type of uh, incense uh, be used. And myrrh was used in the embalming process, a reminder of Jesus as a martyred prophet that he would be killed eventually right? I think some of those things are interesting but uh, I think the uh, reality of what Matthew is teaching us, what Matthew is getting at is showing us how that Jesus of Nazareth is indeed the Messiah of Israel born in Bethlehem Okay, I know it's, it seems like a real simple maybe even dumb point but if he's not then he's not Okay, if, if he's not, if he doesn't fulfill the promises given by God to the prophets, then he is not the promised Messiah of Israel. Okay, and this is Matthew's whole point. This is what he's getting at. Don't worry, we'll get to uh, how this, hopefully we'll get to some areas where this, uh, not hopefully, we'll get to some areas where this uh, certainly has some application for us as well. Um, then, uh, let's move on. Then being divinely warned in a dream, they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. And I actually was thinking about calling this particular study, uh, just naming it Bethlehem, just calling it Bethlehem. But the reality is that only the beginning part really deals with Bethlehem. But before we move on from Bethlehem, um, uh, let's, um, I mean, there's a little bit more here in Bethlehem, but uh, before we move on to this last part, uh, I wanted to remind you that um, Jesus referred to himself as the bread of God come down from heaven. And he was born in Bethlehem, which is a word that means the house of bread. Right? Hebrew word that means the house of bread. I always thought that was interesting. And now, when they had departed, verse 13, Behold, 
An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, flee to Egypt, and stay there until I bring you word. For Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he, when he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed for Egypt and was there until the death of Herod, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt I called my son. You'll notice this almost formula uh, throughout this section. Matthew's going to say, this is what happened, and then he's going to say, so that it would be fulfilled, and then he would reference the prophets. This is a formula he uses um, several times throughout Matthew chapter 2, because his whole point is Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is the promised one. This is what he's getting at uh, for his readers, for us, uh, for his hearers. Um, So this idea of being led in these dreams is something that God did with Joseph several times, and we see it mentioned uh, throughout here several times. It's not really mentioned in many other places, uh, at least in the like the gospel stories and others. There's a couple other occasions where God would give some sort of direction or, or vision to someone in a dream in the, um, the gospel stories themselves. One in particular is with um, uh, Pilate's wife. She's like, listen, I had a dream last night. You'd be careful what you do with that man, Jesus. <laughs> you know, um, so um, very interesting uh, uh, situation there. But God was directing; God was leading, and um, because of Herod's anger, or what was about to take place, um, God already knew. And, and and I think, in one sense, maybe that's one of the. That certainly is a really good application for us. I know that sometimes we we can be afraid because we don't know what the future holds. But man, God does. He just knows. And so he's able to tell Joseph, dude, get out of there. And it's before any issues with Herod actually come up. And that's why it's, I think, recorded in the next section here. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, right? Because they were also warned. They left and didn't go back to Herod to tell him they had found the child. Um, When he uh, saw that he was deceived by the wise men, he was exceedingly angry and he sent forth And he put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. So, two years old and under, and he did that according to the time frame that he had um, obtained from the wise men. Remember when the wise men first came to him, he said, when did the star first appear? And he found out the time that it first appeared. Right. So then now they, he realizes they have deceived him. They've gone a different way. They haven't come back to him. So now he says he sends uh, troops probably out to Bethlehem to kill every boy child, every male child, two years old and under. A couple of things, um, uh, realities about this. Uh, one is that Bethlehem was a very small town. Uh, it's possible that there weren't a whole lot of children two years old and under, in Bethlehem at this time. In fact, it very well may have been likely that that's the case. Uh, The only reason why I bring it up is that there have been criticisms from those um, outside of the Bible who simply don't believe the scriptures, who say, well, this event isn't recorded in any other place in uh, history. There's no other ancient writings that deal with the death of these children two years old and under in Bethlehem, and therefore we can't really believe it's reliable, sort of the way that the, the thinking goes. Uh, the problem is, uh, Jerusalem was nothing. Israel was nothing on the radar of the Roman Empire. It, it was nothing. It was Podunk Town, Podunkville, okay? It was not a big deal or a big place, and they really would have no particular reason to write anything about it. Um, however, Matthew does record for us what happened. And it's a hard, it's a hard reality. Um, because it reminds me of the fact that people do, people do wicked things. And the world can be really hard. I mean, if you are Joseph and Mary and you've been warned in a dream that you need to get out of there and you go, wonderful. But what if you're not? What if you're one of those families that are still in Bethlehem with a two-year-old? And now because Jesus was born in Bethlehem, now your child dies. That's hard. Right? I think about the, the guys that were working for uh, Nebuchadnezzar when they threw... Um, 
um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they threw them into the fiery furnace, right? The fire was so hot, the flames leapt out and consumed the people who threw them in, right? They're just doing their jobs, man. Um, The world can be hard, and sometimes we look at things and and we judge situations and people, and, and we say, well, the reason why that bad thing happened to you is because you've done something wrong or because you're bad or because you're worse than some other person or whatever, and it simply isn't true. One of the things God said to the nation of Israel several times in the law of Moses was, I am sending you into the land of Canaan to drive out the Canaanites, not because you guys are good, but because the Canaanites are wicked. I mean, God just straight up says, I've, I've chosen you, I'm doing all this, this stuff for you, but, but I'm doing it not because of who you are, not because you're good, not because you deserve this. Oftentimes, God is dealing in other people's lives in ways that we don't necessarily fully comprehend. But, but there are <coughs> things that you and I experience, things that maybe can be crushing to us, that, that we look at and we say, it just don't make sense. And in those times, the only thing that, that I know to do, because what else can you do? is to look back on the character of God and say, God, I'm going to trust you even when I don't understand. You know. Can't help but think about the, those other families in Bethlehem with children. And there were several places. Uh, there's one situation in the book of Acts where... Um, and I forget exactly who it was. I'm sure it was Paul, probably. But when he was released from prison, at some point, the guards themselves on one particular situation, I believe, were executed because the um, the prison was opened or whatever, right? It's like, yay, we rejoice that God saved our, our guy, right? But these other people lost their lives through the exact same event. It's just sometimes uh, sides of the stories that we don't always examine or look at. But the reality of our lives is that sometimes things happen to us and we can sit back and like, Lord, I don't know what's going on. Maybe not. Maybe God's doing something in somebody else's life in a particular way. Maybe he's asking you to trust him. Because um, he's the potter and we're the clay, right? That's sort of the base, the basic idea, right? He's the one who gets to do with us whatever he wants because he is God. Can the thing formed say to him who formed it, why did you make me like this? We exist. Uh, we exist for God in the end. So uh, This particular section here where... Um, they're warned of the situation beforehand and they go, Joseph and Mary go down to Egypt, was to fulfill this uh, prophecy out of Egypt. I called my son. Um, Certainly a prophecy that was fulfilled in Israel coming back from Egypt, but also fulfilled in Jesus himself. This is from Hosea chapter 11, that particular prophecy. So now here's another one. Um, After Herod puts to death all the children, Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel, weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Now, Rachel was a, this was, as it says from the prophet Jeremiah, uh, Rachel was um, one of the wives of... um, Of Jacob, she gave birth to um, Joseph and to Benjamin, whom she named Benoni or Benoni, uh, which means son of my sorrow, because she died during childbirth. And um, Benjamin was then renamed Benjamin by his dad, 
but she died during that. Now later, uh, Jeremiah, many years later, Jeremiah speaks this particular prophecy. Ramah was a city just a few miles north of the city of Jerusalem. And this prophecy was primarily fulfilled when Israel was carried away into captivity. Um, Then it was also fulfilled. Sort of this idea of a dual fulfillment here is what Matthew brings us to. It was also fulfilled in what happens here with Herod killing the children there in Bethlehem. Children two years old and under. Now the last little bit of the chapter says this. Now when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying... Arise, take the young child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who sought the young child's life are dead. So Joseph does the only reasonable thing. It's the same thing he's, he's done every time he's had a vision uh, while he's been sleeping. Um, a dream. Um, when an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream, he, he just does it. Then he arose, took the young child and his mother and came into the land of Israel. So he gets his message in a dream saying, you can go back now. And so he goes back. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea, this is one of Herod's children, um, was reigning over Judea instead of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. It seems like history tells us uh, that Archelaus had a bit of an axe to grind with the Samaritans and also with the Jews uh, and was particularly brutal to both parties. So um, uh, he doesn't know exactly where to go because Judea is that southern part of Israel where Bethlehem is located. And that's where they had left from, right? So the natural thing would be, I'm going to go back to Bethlehem because that's where Jesus was born. That's where he spent first, you know, at least beginning part of his life. We went down to Egypt. Now we're going to go back to Bethlehem. But as he comes back to Israel, he hears that Archelaus is reigning and he's afraid uh, to go there. So being warned by God in a dream, he turned aside into the region of Galilee again. So he turns now and he goes to the northern part of Israel, to the Galilee. And he came and dwelt in a city called Nazareth that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophets, he shall be called a Nazarene. Uh, Now, before we move, before we kind of hopefully get the main parts of the uh, application that I wanted to give you, I just want to mention this real quickly. There is no place in the Old Testament where you will find that quotation. He shall be called a Nazarene does not exist and this troubled me for many years (laughs) it troubled me for for a long time because i like things to be um black and white (laughs) i like things to be simple um couple of issues here one is that when this book was written in greek uh there would have been no quotation marks (laughs) okay so like this idea of a quotation is something that, even in itself, in writing, would have been something that would be a bit foreign. The, the way that the typical formula goes is, as, as they said previously, uh, thus was fulfilled what was written by the prophet. And we see that several times, and then they sort of quote the prophets there by repeating what the prophet said. One time, as I mentioned to you earlier, the quotation is both from Micah and then also from one of the books of Samuel as well, sort of mashing those two things up, but still as a, given as a reference to, uh, to the prophet. This one's a bit different because this one says the prophets in a plural sense. Uh, so one of the ways that um, prophets are referenced and that prophecy is fulfilled is not only in a specific word-for-word type sense, but even in a in a idea or theme type sense. And that seems to be what's being what's happening here. It wasn't one particular prophet that said that um, he shall be called a Nazarene. It wasn't one particular prophet. And Matthew doesn't say it was one particular prophet. In fact, he says, this, is what, this fulfills that which was spoken by the prophets. So the idea is, this is a general theme amongst the prophets. What is the theme? That he would be called a Nazarene. Now, it may not mean a whole lot to you guys, but Nazareth, Nazareth was... The sop choppy of Israel. <laughs> Israel. It was the very small, sort of backwoods, right? Kind of thing, kind of place. In fact, I am. <laughs> in fact, in fact, remember, remember in John chapter one when Nathaniel is told that Jesus of Nazareth is the Messiah. His first response is, "Wait, wait." Can anything good 
come out of Nazareth. That was the Jewish attitude, the common Jewish attitude toward that area, that region, and that city. Wait a minute, what? This whole idea here is that Jesus is the king, but he's Jesus of Nazareth. That's not real kingly. (laughs) That's the idea. And the prophets spoke over and over and over again of a Messiah who would be despised and rejected. Who would be looked down upon. Not one who would be seen favorably. This was a common theme spread throughout the prophets. And Matthew is referencing that idea. The prophets suggest that he would be called a Nazarene. (laughs) So that's why Jesus of Nazareth, yeah, even though he was sort of raised in the city of Nazareth into adulthood, he was born in Bethlehem. So he fulfills the the prophecies concerning the Messiah being born in Bethlehem. In fact, he went down to Egypt. So he even fulfills this real obscure prophecy saying that he, he would call his son out of Egypt. God saying, I would call my son out of Egypt. He fulfills that prophecy too because they went down into Egypt and then they came back from Egypt. And he also fulfills this general theme, this idea of the Messiah being despised and rejected. A very common, a very direct sort of idea in Isaiah's writings. Think of uh, Isaiah 53. We esteemed him stricken, smitten. Cursed by God. Now, a couple of points of application and then we'll finish. Um, One is this. Sometimes I don't know what to do with my life. (laughs) I just don't. Sometimes I don't know what, what the next step is that I should be taking. Sometimes I don't know, you know, where I should go or what I should do as it relates to ministry or as it relates, relates to making wise decisions for my family. Sometimes I just don't know. And I say to myself or to the Lord, Lord, will you lead me? Sometimes I wish that I could just follow Jesus around like the disciples did. Sometimes I do, because then I wouldn't have to ask questions. <laughs> I wouldn't have to say, Lord, where now? What now? Because he'd just say, just follow me. And as long as I saw him, I'd just stick with him. Lord, I'm following you. Sometimes I get really confused. Sometimes I wish that maybe I could have like Joseph had. Maybe while I'm sleeping, Lord, you would just show me a vision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then I will know what to do. Right? Send me a sign. Have an airplane fly across the sky without propellers or jet engines. <laughs> and write something in the sky. <laughs> no, it has to be miraculous for me to believe it. <laughs> <laughs> to believe it's from God. That must be from God. It doesn't make sense otherwise, right? Sometimes we think like that, don't we? Then we'll know what to do if God would do this. And I have to confess, God has never once done anything like that for me. There are ways in which the Lord has confirmed things or uh, ideas. And I've been praying about something and then somebody comes up and says a particular thing and I'm like, now how did they know that? I don't think there is such a thing as coinkydink. It's coincidence. I think that God is in control of those things. Uh, Solomon said in the Proverbs, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. Right? You, you roll the dice however you want, but where they land is where God wants them to. That's why casting lots was a common way of determining the will of God. Because <laughs> they believed it, that God was in control of circumstance. I'm not suggesting that's what you should do in making your decisions. (laughs) See, because you and I have something better. Remember last week how we talked about how um, God showed himself as being with Israel, with the the cloud and the fire. Now in Acts chapter 2, that is exactly, I mean almost exactly what, what he does for those Jewish followers of Jesus. In Acts chapter 2. 
when he shows up right over each of their heads with a little little thing of fire. And they hear this sound as, a, as of a rushing mighty wind. Okay. See, God is with you. Habakkuk, in the book of Habakkuk, Habakkuk cried out, God, why are all these bad things happening? Why, why do the wicked prosper? Why do those who hate you, why are all these great things being accomplished by them, God? How long will you wait to avenge? How long will you wait to make things right, God? He cried out and he cried out and he cried out. And God's response to him was, in Habakkuk chapter 2, his response was, was wait for the vision, wait for it and, and then write it down. Make it plain so that others, so that he who reads it may run. What was the vision he received? The just shall live by his faith. It seems anticlimactic. <laughs> Jesus said to those who saw him after the resurrection, Blessed are you because you've seen and believed. But more blessed are those who have not seen and believe. The point I'm trying to make is this. God wants you to trust him. The just shall live by believing God. So that means that we make choices, we make decisions, and sometimes we don't always know where they're going to go or how they're going to end. And we should use wisdom in that. God's filled the scriptures with, with real wisdom to make good choices about life and about marriage and about, about money and about many things that people wrestle with. So we, we learn those things so that we can be wise in our choices as well. And then you make a decision and you go, you do it. And you trust that Jesus said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Sometimes you're going to make a decision that you look back and you say, oh man, this is so great the way this worked out. Sometimes you're going to make a decision and you're going to look back and you're going to say, this is horrible the way this worked out. But guess what? God is with you right then in that moment and he's using all of those decisions, working them together for good. That is the promise that we've been given. Because nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in our Messiah, Jesus. And he works all things together for good to those who love him. That is the guarantee that we have. That means that sometimes I've just got to step out and trust him. I know that's really scary. (laughs) What I've found over the years in the situations where I've done this, I have found that God has never left me. He's never forsaken me. It doesn't mean that I haven't made dumb choices. I have. (laughs) And God has been right there with me as I suffered because of my (coughs) dumb choices. (laughs) And He's helped me and encouraged me and corrected me. God knows how to lead you. Trust Him. Ask Him to direct you. Use the wisdom He's given you in His Word and then make some choices. (laughs) And if something doesn't work out, maybe it wasn't supposed to. Maybe He's just teaching you some other particular thing through that. That's okay. Last point is this, because we're running out of time. Last point is this, is the Philippians 2 passage here. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. That's how we're to think about other people. We're to say, you're better than me. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also look out for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in our Messiah, Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. He wasn't robbing or taking anything away from God to be equal with him. But made himself of no reputation taking the form of a slave, a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man, 
And being found in appearance like a man, as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That is the type of mind that Paul is saying, you who follow Jesus, I want you to think like this. Humble yourself. Jesus, who, it wouldn't be robbery for him to be called equal to God because he is God. He still made himself like a slave. And he came down in the appearance of a man in a human body and he humbled himself. And I know that this is the kind of attitude I need to have in my marriage. It's the kind of attitude I need to have in, in my job. It's the kind of attitude that I need to have in ministry. I'm just, I'm just here to serve Jesus and, and to love whoever he puts near me. Therefore, because Jesus obeyed him even to the point of death, the death of the cross, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, Paul writes, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus our Messiah is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus humbled himself when he came. This is what goes back to the end of Matthew 2 there, that he would be called a Nazarene. He was nothing. He humbled himself and he made himself of no reputation. Think about how often we try to protect our reputations. Jesus made himself of no reputation and he just came to serve, to do what was right, to obey God even to the point of death. And that death was the excruciating death of the cross. So I find myself humiliated by the reality that I am infrequently like that. (laughs) Whether it's at work or at home with my kids or my wife or in ministry in the church. And so I'm saying, Lord, would you help? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love. Would you humble us, I pray, and make us to be servants. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord sends rain.